From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. Before their very first day of kindergarten, white and affluent children already know more about science than children of other races and children who are poor. And for most of those children, the gap does not get better with more schooling. Researchers have long been concerned about achievement gaps in math and reading, but there's been less attention paid to the children's scientific knowledge. The U.S. Department of Education commissioned researchers from Penn State and UC Berkeley to figure out why minorities and less advantaged children are falling behind in the sciences. The findings were published in the journal Educational Researcher. Paul Morgan led this study. He is an associate professor at Penn State University, and he joins me from University Park. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. Good to be here. So why did the Department of Education want you to look into this thing in the first place, this achievement gap in science? To set the context, you know, I think the department's concerned in a number of ways across kind of a number of different dimensions. And there's a, a National Academy of Sciences report that's raised concerns about decline in economic competitiveness uh, in the U.S. because of lagging science achievement and degree completion and careers in STEM-related fields. And the STEM workforce is also aging. And if we're going to retain our economic competitiveness globally, it needs to be resupplied, so to speak. And along with that, there's been some reporting, including by data collected by the Department of Education, the NAEP data. National Assessment of Educational Progress, sometimes called the nation's report card. That's right. That's indicated that uh, achievement gaps between racial and ethnic minorities and white students and less uh, economically advantaged students, that their gaps are quite sizable in science by the elementary and middle school grades. But it really hasn't clarified kind of the dynamics that's occurring and why those gaps might uh, might be observed, in part because a good deal of the research that's been available has not been longitudinal, um, has been limited in the amount of um, controls and, and factors that they can enter into the equations to try and explain uh, these achievement gaps. And also, this research has typically not been able to look at the earliest precursors and stability of the gap. So by by kindergarten entry and then examining um, the dynamic of the achievement gaps over time as children age. Who do you think is most vulnerable to factors that create this science achievement gap that you've identified? Particularly racial and ethnic minorities and lower-income students seem to be beginning uh, kindergarten um, knowing less about uh, their general surroundings, both in terms of understanding of um, natural sciences and social sciences. Does this include Asian Americans? It does. Children who are Asian enter into kindergarten knowing less relative to whites in terms of um, general knowledge about the world, although they seem to display a, a compensatory type of trajectory over time. In other words, they, they start to close the gap relative to uh, students who are white over time. Uh, but un- unfortunately, in, in, for reasons that uh, tie into societal inequities, um, children who are black seem to lag across time. So they tend to enter into kindergarten um, spending lower levels of general knowledge and their gaps um, actually start to widen across time as they uh, continue through elementary and middle school. Now, we can explain most of those gaps with the study's predictors, and many of those factors are modifiable, both um, 
through policies implemented prior to, to, to school entry as well as by factors that might be targeted by schools. Tell me why you think these gaps exist. What's going on either in uh, preschool or in the family that is advantaging the white kids? Right. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, you know, our data picks up at kindergarten entry, so it's it's. Uh, I'm limited in the capacity to to um, comment on the dynamics occurring prior to when we start uh, analyzing data collected from the sample. Um, what's what's been reported in the literature? There, there's a number of different factors. One of which is there might be differences in parenting style, and so efforts in which parents actively encourage children to to, to make observations and um, provide explanations uh, when parents are ex- extending um, the sort of the natural inquiry that children are making about their surroundings. Those are have been reported to be helpful in terms of increasing children's general knowledge about the world, and it may be those those sort of productive dispositions and skills that children start to acquire in terms of um, making observations and, and, and reasoning and um, um, problem solving and, and kind of hypothesis testing that you might do later start to emerge pretty early. Um, so in other words, differences in parenting style where you're, you're sort of trying to make a sort of effort to cultivate children's um, um, interests and observations about their surroundings can be helpful. Access to high-quality child cares and, and preschools might be another factor that may be responsible. Does this parallel some of the research that indicates that more affluent children live at a, for example, a more word-rich environment? They're, they hear and say more words by a certain age than kids in other places. Is it, is it, is it, do you feel that this is primarily that kind of richness of environment? That's right. And, you know, one of the studies that you're referring to, I think, is the Hart and Risley study. And, and in terms of their observations, they were observing quite a bit in regards to differences in, in vocabulary exposure that children were receiving, whether they were from higher or lower economic backgrounds. But there are other things that were taking place, too. And so in higher income, uh, more economically resourced families, the parents were tending to uh, kind of support and praise their children's observations and investigations around the, the world and extend the observations, whereas in the more economically disadvantaged families, there is a greater emphasis on kind of controlling the child's behavior through reprimands and, and things of this nature. So there are sort of quality dimensions to the parenting that seem to result in, in kind of both vocabulary differences, but also it may be that there's, there's other impacts as a result of those differences in parenting style. And I think those studies have indicated that it's really an issue of time resource, how much time the parents in the in the more struggling families have to devote, which contributes to this idea that there might be more sort of control over nurturing going on. Right. I, you know, I think when you're a single mom and, you know, you're trying to hold down one or two jobs and um, some of those might be dependent on kind of shift work with changing time schedules, you've got greater demands on you and that limit your your ability to uh, potentially provide as much time to your child. And so the more that we can do to help uh, parents uh, not feel the, that kind of stress and strain and allocate more time to uh, children, I think probably will actually have long-term benefits in terms of, of the country, and including possibly over time increasing children's achievement and their economic opportunities as adults. 
And I think helping parents in those ways, whether it's through um, targeted interventions that, that show parents model these kind of behaviors that might be more optimal for children's um, academic development, as well as supporting them in terms of access to high-quality uh, child care and preschool, I think actually end up benefiting the country quite a bit economically in the long run. Well, you also mentioned that uh, the nation is in something of a science race with the rest of the world, kind of reminiscent of the space race of the late 1950s. Uh, I assume that's what's at stake here in this science achievement gap. Well, I mean, this the National Academy's report is, I, I, if you look at the titles, um, and the initial title of the report was was uh, A Gathering Storm, and their, their update in 2010 about this issue was, was titled uh, Rapidly Approaching to Category 5. So there's a sense across, you know, this, the, the, the multidisciplinary expert panel that, that this, the nation's really facing some potential serious uh, loss in economic competitiveness if we continue to lag in regards to, to science achievement. And, you know, there's another issue in regards to just our economy is moving to more of a knowledge-based economy. And you've just better positioned um, children as they age uh, as adults to experience more economic opportunity. Um, if, uh, in part, they have uh, greater science achievement as well as you know, uh, reading and math achievement. Paul Morgan is an associate professor of education at Penn State and director of the university's Educational Risk Initiative. Paul Morgan, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure. You can find a link to the Science Achievement Gap Report at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org, where you can also find more podcasts about issues in K-12 and higher education and browse an archive of more than 100 documentary projects, AmericanRadioWorks.org. So did this podcast change your thinking about the achievement gap? Are you going to share it with friends or colleagues? We'd like to know. You can go to our website and share your impact story, AmericanRadioWorks.org. Click on the About link and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and we are on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.